um, the last time I was talking to you, I was uh, speaking from Hebrews 10, but um, it was, I ran out of time and it was a bit difficult to complete the chapter. So I will touch on a little bit of it, although mainly I'm into Hebrews 11. Anyway, let me just briefly go back to um, verse 22, actually, because here it's simply saying, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith. Um, what he's really saying is that we can draw near to the Lord in fellowship, and he's exhorting them to do that in faith that we have been cleansed from sin. And then in verse 23, he puts it, let's hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Um, by the way, I am using the King James Version today. So there's very much a question of one point is that because our sin is cleansed, we can draw near to the Lord. And then secondly, in verse 23, that we should hold fast to this faith that we have in salvation and that we shouldn't vary, we shouldn't weary. You know, there's a danger that some people, when they first know the Lord, are full of excitement and fire, and uh, then it all drifts away. It shouldn't. We should keep that experience. And then he does go on further towards the end of the chapter, and then I'll move on to 11, where he says in verse 35, don't throw away your confidence because it's that confidence in our relationship with Christ and with God the Father that gives us the access to rewards. And uh, it says in verse 36, you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And the promise, of course, is our position in God's coming kingdom. And then he says, for a little while, and he that shall come will come. And there will be a certain point at which he will not delay. I do believe that we're getting to that point in our prophetic view of history at the moment. So then he turns basically in chapter 11 to the subject which is going to probably take the next two messages, um, because Hebrews 11 to me is um, possibly the most important chapter here in this book, and the one that appeals to me most, because as you know, I endeavor to live by faith and even when I came out of the prison, because that was a manifestation of very great faith, praying for my release and then experiencing it with the prime minister. Um, 
people said to me, even then, that I was a man of faith, that only God can finally judge. But here, Paul looks at faith in a slightly different way. This is not just faith in salvation. It is faith is the substance of things we hope for. So this faith is faith in the practical sense in our lives as opposed to what we've looked at previously, which is faith for salvation. So Paul is saying very definitely that faith becomes substance and evidence of things that we haven't seen. Now, this is a, a very strong issue, certainly is in my life, and certainly should be in all our lives linked with our prayer, if the faith that we have becomes more than just something, how can I put it, something um, which is theoretical, and here faith becomes something which is practical. You see, uh, to many people, faith is not a fact. It is a fancy. Um, people say, I hope so, I think so, um, I believe so. But usually when they're saying that, it is not an evidence of real faith. It is hope. Uh, and and that, that's, that, there's nothing more. It's not fact. Whereas what Paul is trying to do is take faith away from that concept and say faith should be and is to the believer. Faith is the substance of what you hope for and the evidence of what you hope for and haven't seen. So faith is looking into the future and believing that you will get what you speak. And uh, because of this, he says in verse 2, the elders obtained a good report, and I think that's a reference particularly to the 12 spies that were sent out, as you know, uh, when under Moses the children of Israel reached the borders of the Promised Land after 40 days, sent 12 spies in, who came back with um, a very varied report. Ten of them, well, all 12 said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything that God had promised us. But 10 said we can't do it because there are giants there and vast armies. Only two said, with God nothing is impossible. Let's go in. But because the people followed the majority, the result was, they actually spent another 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> That's, that, that, for many of them, was a lifetime. And it is suggested that only two of the original group lived, and I'm assuming that was the adults, that lived to the final entry uh, when it was Joshua and Caleb. So, in verse 3, he's saying, through faith... We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, I'm so glad that this is included here because there is a danger even with Christians, even in the church, to be misled by so-called scientific evidence 
to say, to believe in an evolutionary process. And people say God could not have made uh, everything in six days and rested on the seventh. I'm sorry, I believe it literally. I believe that's what happened. And I think that's uh, the origin of the days of the week, uh, the six working days and the day of rest on the Sabbath day. And it says rest on the Sabbath day as God rested. So to me, part of my faith is in believing that God created everything. But it's very interesting when it says in verse 3, through faith we understand that worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, this to me is quite interesting because I'm studying something else and um, actually dealing with something else in some of my ministry, which is the ability to work miracles and see the impossible, where if you read, it's in Mark 11 and I think repeated in Luke 11, on the Mount of Olives where Jesus cursed the fig tree because it had no fruit, and coming back the next morning, Peter is absolutely amazed and says, Master, what's happened? The tree is dead. <laughs> I'm a little bit surprised at Peter that he didn't really expect this to happen, but he didn't. And uh, the reply of Jesus was very, very simple, where he says that if you speak to this mountain, they were on the Mount of Olives, and command this mountain to be cast into the sea, that would have been the Dead Sea, it will happen if in your heart you believe that what you say will happen. Now, that's very powerful, and um, for me, it's something that I'm trying to live on experimentally. But here, strangely enough, and it's the first time I've actually, I suppose it's because I've just been preaching on the other side, that I understand um, the third verse in a slightly different way. Because what he's saying is that through our faith today, we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God, the spoken word. It's as if here that Paul is saying that creation came when God spoke. Now, that's powerful. It also links to something else because we know that Jesus is referred to as the word of God. The Bible is referred to as the word of God, but Jesus is also referred, and we also know from Colossians that in Jesus all things are held together. That is a vast subject. But let me just simply come back to the origin of this, which is that through faith we accept that everything was created by God by his power. Now, I think that it's my underlying very strong faith in creation that means that I can accept with God that nothing is impossible. The things that are, the Bible says the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And I think this here is the evidence 
we believe that if God could create everything, not only man and uh, not only the animals and everything, but not only our world, but everything in space. So we come on to verse 4, where Paul says, and by the way, I remind you that Paul is speaking to the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. He says in verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying by his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. Now, this is a great reminder that Abel and Cain both made offerings and sacrifices to God, but only Abel offered the blood sacrifice. Cain didn't. And in God's sight, it was only the blood sacrifice that would atone for sin. And Cain killed his brother because of it. But Abel actually became a witness of this tremendous witness by which he obtained righteousness by the very fact of his death. Uh, he was righteous, God testifying of it, and by it, he being dead, yet speaks. Then you come to verse 5, because in verse 5, faith translated Enoch. Uh, you know, it's quite a tremendous experience. I, I don't very often preach on Enoch, but uh, in, in my middle years, I used to think an enormous about, about Enoch. Because Enoch was a remarkable man because it says that he walked with God. And basically, the Bible says that he walked so close in fellowship to God, uh, in walking and talking together, that there came a time when eventually God says, it's better for you to come into heaven than go back to earth. You're nearer heaven than earth. Come up here, come with me. Now, that's a, a phenomenal experience. It's the only person it ever happened to. But it is a, a very wonderful and very clear picture of how in our walk with God, in our fellowship with God, we can get so close to him. I know that worship is, is a, means a great deal. I love worship, uh, and worship's very important. But somehow there is something even deeper than worship, and it's the moment when we're walking and talking with the Lord. Uh, there was a, a wonderful song when I was growing up, which I'm always reminded of, and it simply... We come to the gar I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am his own. And the joy that we share, none other can ever know. So that song that's composed first as a poem is a reference to this. It's walking with God in the kind of fellowship where you have a constant relationship with him. And 
Also, I would remind you, and I know this personally, that there are times if you walk with someone who's very close to you, husband and wife or parents with children, people that are close to you, there are times when you talk and there are times when you don't talk. And it is said one of the marks of friendship is that you can spend time with someone without talking. <laughs> Might sound very strange, but that is what is said. And here, it's, it's just so much that you can fellowship with the Lord and feel the Lord close to you, not just with talking. So, Enoch found favor with God because he was translated into heaven. It says translation. He didn't die in the normal way. And before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So what I've been talking about, that relationship with God, that walking, that talking with him, pleases God to the extent that now then, here you are, is the challenge. If you can walk close enough for the Lord, maybe even you could be translated like Enoch. But then we come to verse 6, and I underline verse 6 in my Bible because here it's very clear, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and as a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But it's much deeper than that. What verse 6 Paul is trying to say is this, it's without faith you can't please God because when you come to God, you must have the faith of knowing really who he is. And recently when I've been preaching, I've been overseas in Central Asia, and this is one of the issues that I've been dealing with is that we need to know who God is because Daniel in Daniel 11, I think it's verse 32, uh, Daniel says, those who know God will be strong and do exploits. So knowing God is knowing really who he is, what he can do, what his ability is, what his capabilities are that pleases God. So without that kind of faith, you can't please God. God isn't pleased just with words, with chants, with repetition. That's what I, I don't like about so much organized re, uh, religion because so much of its chants and repetition, it's not coming from the person's heart. But what we need is a relationship with God that isn't lighting candles or reading prayers or chanting whatever. It is the fact that when we come to him, we come with the knowledge of who he is and what he can do, and we come into a relationship based on that kind of knowledge, the knowledge of who he really is. And without that kind of faith, it's impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe not only that he is, that he exists, but must believe who he is and what he is. 
if you're going to come to him, and that means in fellowship, but also in prayer, because I believe that there's a very strong point here that when we come to God in prayer, we need to know who he is. When I pray, I pray in the knowledge that God can answer. And it's not a question of doubt, can God answer, can do this. I know he can, and I want him to do it because I know who he is and what power he has. And that's an essential part of my praying. So when I pray, I pray in faith. And that's, I think, what makes my praying sometimes quite different to other people. I do seem to get a reputation for slightly unusual praying. I mean, even the last time I had cancer 20-odd years ago, uh, when I had the lung cancer nearly 23 years ago, and um, I remember that when I said to the Lord, Lord, um, I'm not going to take any medical treatment, I actually said, Lord, if you don't need me, then take me home, because Paul says it's better in heaven than down here. So I said, just let it be quick and take me home. But if you have not finished with me, if you have more work for me to do, then heal me, because I cannot go continue preaching a God of power and healing and miracles if I don't demonstrate it. Do you understand? So that in prayer, it's very much, I knew that God had power to heal me, and I put, all right, I gave him the choice, do you need me or not? <laughs> I can tell you that God made haste to heal me, <laughs> and that's more than 20 years ago, and when you look at what's happened in the last 20 years, you know full well that God hadn't finished with me and hasn't finished with me yet. So all of this is an expression of our faith in who he is, faith in the person, faith in the ability, faith in the power, faith that in his faithfulness, faith in his faithfulness. Mm. And so we must believe that he is, and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. In verse 7, by faith being warned of God, that about the flood, of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to save his house, and he condemned the world, it says, and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So to Noah, Noah was faith that when God warned him of the coming flood, he actually literally believed, it says, with fear that the flood was coming and built the ark. Now, do you see what faith is? That's another aspect of faith, that he so believed in a future that God was promising. And I mean, it must have taken him years to build the ark. I mean, <laughs> the size of it and the fact it could contain so much, that wasn't done overnight. And uh, so uh, all the time he's building it, of course, he was criticized because why did you build this massive boat on dry land, which is ridiculous. But he was prepared to accept the criticism 
because he was convinced that if God had warned of a coming flood, that it would happen. So we need to be aware of God's judgment coming and of his kingdom. But this is a different aspect of faith. So faith actually with Noah meant that he got on with the job and built the ark. Now in verse 8, it's different. Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place that he would afterwards receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing where he went. <laughs> Abraham, that great leader, was called to leave where he was and go out into the wilderness. And he went and didn't know where he would end up. But yet, by faith, he went. And in verse 9, he stayed in this land of promise, a strange country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who would become the heirs of the promise, in verse 10. For he looked for a city which has foundations whom builder and maker is God. So he lived in the wilderness, leaving his substance, leaving <laughs> his mansion and his cars and his houses and all the rest of it. He left that to live in the wilderness in faith that he would enter the inheritance. And it was exactly the same in verse 11 with Sarah, who believed to conceive and have the child. Now my time has gone. I will be continuing this, and it's fascinating next time. God bless you. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia, and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable, and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. We would like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. Strength for now and for eternity. David will guide you through the Apostle Paul's letters to the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. David has written this book to strengthen your faith at a time when everything around us is being shaken. Join David as he delves deep into the truths of the Bible. Order David's book, A Firm Foundation, by visiting our website, eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop.